And we'll pick it up today in verse number 26, Luke chapter 9. We'll read a couple of verses, and then we'll uh, pray, and then we're actually going to take our text from verse 28 down to 36. And I'd like to preach to you this morning a sermon entitled, More Sure, More Sure. And in order to help you understand why we need to preach on this, we've we got to backtrack just a little bit into last week's sermon. So that's why we're beginning in verse number 26. Jesus says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. With that being said, let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we look forward to that day when we will see the kingdom of God. We know that there might be some here. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And we look forward to that day when our faith becomes sight. But until then, as we stand here, sit here with our Bibles open, Lord, we, we want our ears to be open, our hearts to be open. Lord, as I open my mouth, might you fill it. Might you come down and meet with us. Lord, we love you. We look forward to learning this morning. Help us, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this passage, to go back even a little further, Jesus had asked his disciples this question. Who do you say that I am? And they gave the right answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, that's right. The Father has revealed that to you. And then he says, now hang on to your seats because I'm going to give you some deep information. You're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. But you may not have known this. I do have to die. And after I, I'm dead, I'm going to be raised again. That was brand new information. They had never heard that. They thought they knew Jesus. You know, there's always more you can learn about Jesus. There's always something more. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're in this mortal form, there's more to him. And the disciples now are taken back. Wait a minute, you have to die? How does that fit in? And then on the heels of that, remember Peter rebuked him. He said, listen here, life's not always easy and fun and convenient and good. Sometimes we got to do the tough things. And on the heels of that, he gave them what we studied last week, verse 23, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow. There are going to be some demands that have to be met for discipleship. Your devotion to God will be challenged on a daily basis. And in this time of, can we call it confusion perhaps? All right, you're the Messiah, but how does you dying fit in with that? Their current knowledge at that time, that just didn't work. And now they have this big decision to make, this challenging commitment. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, not only do I have to deny my sinful urges, but also Jesus is demanding that he comes before family. He comes before friends. He is more important than my job, my career, my hobbies. You might remember last week, the devil will either try to pull you down with sin or stretch you far to the sides with things that are not wrong, things that are right, but try to get you paying attention to them more than going upwards to God. 
Jesus knew this would be a challenging message for the disciples. You got to take in the new information and daily take up your cross. So he says, guys, listen, just want to give you the big picture. One day I'm going to come back in glory. Not just my glory, but the glory of the Father and all the holy angels. Heaven's coming with me. He's trying to remind them to help them see the big picture. You're carrying a cross, and yes, you might have to deny yourself this and that, but it will be so worth it. It will be so worth it. And then just a little extra, because God does this for us from time to time, knowing that we need it. He says, I'm going to give you guys a little extra. Some of you are standing here. You're not going to die till you see the kingdom of God. Now, watch what he said carefully in verse 27. He did not say which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God fully established on the earth in its fullness. He didn't say that because they did die before that happened. What he is promising here is you guys are going to get a taste. You're going to get a preview, just a glimpse of my future glory. In Matthew's gospel, it's worded slightly differently. He says there, you'll not taste of death, some will not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So you're going to get a preview of what Jesus will look like in that kingdom age. And that brings us to our story today. In verse number 28, it says, it came to pass about an eight days after these saints. In Matthew and Mark, where you have this story, it says after six days. Here it says about an eight days. So you just fall right in the middle of that. That's a week. After six and almost eight, about eight, this is a week now that they have been marinating in this new information. Jesus had reminded them about taking up that cross. That is something he told them about months before, but now he's reminded them of that important commitment. I'm so glad these kind of things are in the Bible. Jesus does not expect us to hear it and immediately wrap our heads around and go, okay, I get it. Fully committed, I'm in. No, no, some things take a little bit to sink in. Amen? Sometimes you hear it in church and you think, okay, I, I think I get that. I think I can apply that. But boy, that's a big one. These are some big changes. And Jesus, knowing that we need that extra little bit, whatever that is, to help us become more sure of what he has said and the commitment that he requires of us. He says, guys, Peter, James, John, come here. Verse, uh, verse 28. He took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. So here's what we're going to look at in this story today. Some things that God will do to help you become more sure about the Lord Jesus Christ and your commitment to him. These are things that God will do to make you more sure. First thing he does, he lets them think about it for a week. They've been marinating in it. They still do not understand his death, burial, and resurrection. They don't understand it even after he rises from the dead. <laughs> they still haven't fully grasped it yet. But now they've been thinking about it. He says, guys, step one, come apart for a while. Let's go up into this mountain and pray. As best I can tell, this is the first time Jesus has ever pulled these three aside just for a private prayer meeting. This will not be the last time. You remember in Gethsemane, he pulls these same three aside and says, guys, come pray with me. Do you know they react the exact same way? You know what they do in this passage? They fell asleep. <laughs> exactly what they did in Gethsemane as well. They go on the mountain to pray. 
We'll talk more about the sleeping in a moment, but the first thing I want to bring to your attention that I think God will do to make you more sure of your faith in Christ and your commitment to Christ is this. He says, come here and let's, let's pray for a while. Let's have a genuine, fervent, earnest prayer meeting. Not just that quick little thing you do before you go to school or work, but genuinely setting aside time in your schedule to get a hold of God and for God to get a hold of you. This is a private prayer meeting that is unique. They haven't had one of these yet. When's the last time you set aside time to have something unique outside of the regular schedule of your prayer? Just a little extra to confirm, to help you get stronger in that commitment that you've made to Christ. You're going to need that. The world, the flesh, and the devil will challenge the commitment you've made, challenge your knowledge of God. You need to spend some special time with him in prayer. You say, what makes it special? Well, verse 29, as he prayed. Look at that, as he prayed. In the middle of that prayer time, not after he prayed, as he prayed. This is, this is what happens while you're in the prayer closet. As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. He has now been transfigured. This is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And God, just for a few moments now, is allowing these men to get a glimpse of the glorified version of Jesus. This is what he will look like when he comes again in his kingdom. This is that little preview of the kingdom of God that they were promised. You say, what kind of prayer do I need to make myself more sure? You stay in that prayer closet until Jesus gets more real to you. Until he shows up in some special kind of a way. Listen, do you think they were expecting this? They had no idea that Jesus would do this during that prayer meeting. They went up the mountain to pray thinking, well, let's just go talk to God. This will be like we've always done. There are going to be some times when you step into that prayer closet. Listen to this. You shut the door to pray to your father in secret. You think you know what you need. You step in, right? Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you shut the door, pray to the father in secret. And he says in that same passage, the father knoweth what you have need of before you ask. So you step in thinking, I know what I need. No, you probably don't. But he knows what you need. You need something that will strengthen the core of your faith and redouble that commitment that you've made to carrying what can be a heavy cross. Doesn't the Bible say, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in time of need. Might I remind you, there's never a time you don't need him. And the grace that is waiting for you on that mountain of prayer, in that prayer closet, you may not realize how much grace you need for the next challenge that you don't even know is coming. But God does. You may not expect for God to get so real, for Jesus to, to present himself to you in a way that you didn't think possible until you've spent that time in prayer and God just shows up and gives you something that will keep you going through that next challenge. Pray until he gets real. I remember the first time I ever had one of these special prayer meetings in my life. After I got saved, I, I had grown up with this kind of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And 
I mean, we just go through them. I could recite them with the best. We do it fast. We weren't allowed to leave the breakfast table until you prayed the whole rosary as a Catholic. That's a lot of prayers. There's over 50 prayers in that thing. So we pray, our Father in heaven, give us a day, baby, that was prayer. After I got saved, I didn't know what to expect. I had never heard anybody pray from their heart. One night, Christina and I, we had gone out witnessing with our pastor, and we came back to his house, and we'd often just had a quick prayer before we go home. That was just, you know, how you ended the day with your pastor. Brother Freddie and I, we got down to pray, and it was about, I don't know, 9, 30, 10 at night, and it just got good. I prayed for a while. He prayed for a while. The glory of God just came down. That's all I know to tell you. We were just there on his living room floor. And I, I, it was the first time in my life I'd ever felt or experienced anything like that. And when I got done, and he got done, he said amen. We both opened our eyes. We were laid out on the floor there. He looked over at me. I looked over at him, and he said, that was good. I said, amen. He said, let's do it again. I said, please. So we did it again. And it just got thicker and thicker, more and more real. And at one point, it was the first time I'd ever been tempted to do something like this. I had my eyes closed down on my arms like this, my folded arms, and I began to reach out my hand because I, I was sure that I would have been able to feel the foot of Christ right there. His presence was so real in that room. And it was just one of those moments in my life where God said, now you see, there's more to this Christian life than you've experienced, than you can expect. And now that I had a taste of that, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want more of that. I want more of that. I remember years later, this is three, four years later, Brother Virginio, who's now a missionary in a country that I cannot tell you of. He and I were in Bible school together. He said, Brother Flick, how about you come over for a time of prayer? I went to his little beaten down trailer and we got down there in his floor and for four hours we didn't say one word. Not a word, but God just showed up. With Brother Freddie, it went back and forth that time I told you of just a moment ago. We started at about 10 p.m. We finished at 5 a.m. It just got too good. We didn't leave. With Brother Virginio, it just went and went until we felt like God told us we were done. It happened again in Malawi. I had malaria seven times. On that seventh time, oh man, it was bad. And I was sick in bed praying and trying to read my Bible as best I could, but my vision was blurry and God just showed up in that room. Because I was asking him, God, is this it? Have I run my race? Have I finished my course? Are you done with me? And he showed up in that room and he helped me get that cross back up on my shoulders. I'm not done yet. There's still more. There's been some times here, and I can't really talk of them because many of you are in the room where we've gotten down to pray and God just showed up, and it got real. And I don't even know how to explain it. I can't really put words to it. It was just good. I got a message yesterday from Brother Mike Dobbins there in Zambia, and he said, you know, I got down to pray. His wife had gone out of the house for a while. He said, I had some extra time to pray. 
And what he did is he took his soul winner's New Testament. And in that New Testament, he writes the names of all of the people that he preaches to. And, and they make a profession of faith. He writes their name. He has hundreds of names in that New Testament. He said, I sat there and started looking at those names. And I started thinking back as to what God has done. He said, I, I love how he put it. I began reminiscing with God. And you can sometimes get in that prayer closet and say, Lord, I don't understand everything that you're doing in my life right now. I'm not quite sure everything that you've mentioned to me from the Bible. I'm not sure how to understand it or how to take it in. I'm not sure what you're going to expect or need from me moving forward. You've told me that there's going to be a cross, but I, I'm a little nervous about this next step. And you're asking me to make some big commitments with some huge sacrifices. And I, I'm not really sure how to make that next step. But I know, God, from what you've done in the past and how you've led me in the past and look at how you've used me. There's the evidence of it. God, just by looking back, I'm able to look forward. Sometimes you need to get alone with God and pray and just let God show up. How long should I stay in the prayer closet until God unlocks the door? You ever notice that about Matthew 6? Go in the prayer closet and shut the door, right? He didn't tell you to open it. You let God open that door and say, all right, you're done. That's all I got to say for now. Sometimes you're going to need that extra little shot in the arm so you can pick that cross up again. In Luke chapter 9, something else I think we should see in verse 29, as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. As I've already pointed out, this is the glorified Jesus the disciples up until this point, these three especially, they only knew the human version. Now they knew a very impressive human version, did they not? They saw and heard things from Jesus that had never been seen or heard before, right? No man ever yet spake like this man. What a manner of man is this, they, were, they would say. They, they heard him make claims and saw him do, do miracles like no one else. But there was still more to him. With as much as they had seen, and here's my second point. Point number one, you need a meeting for prayer. Point number two, there's more to Jesus. Just, just know this about the commitment that he's asked you to make. Perhaps you're struggling in your faith and you're wondering whether or not you're going to finish your course, if you're going to keep the faith, and how can I keep taking up that cross and making that sacrifice? Let me just reassure you, that what you right now know about Jesus, you have yet to scratch the surface. There is so much more waiting for you, things that you will love to know, but you'll never know if you don't keep carrying that cross. But there's more to him than you could possibly imagine. We know him, they knew him as carpenter, but he's also the king of kings. The Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus was the apostle, means the sent one, the apostle, but he's also the alpha and the omega. The Bible says in Revelation, in an interesting verse, he's the offspring of David. Well, naturally, he's in David's line. He's the offspring of David, yes, but he's also the root of David. He is where David came from, and he also came from David. The Bible says that Jesus is the comforter, before the Holy Spirit came, Jesus was the comforter. He's the comforter, the counselor, and acquainted with grief. But he's also the creator of all things visible and invisible. The Bible says he's a man of sorrows. 
but he's also the maker of all mankind. He is the one who gave his life, but he's also the one who gives life. We know him in the earthly fashion. We see him work in maybe small ways, but friend, just know that there is more to him than you could possibly imagine. Paul said it like this. He was praying for the Ephesian people. Listen to how he prayed. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. Listen to this part. Which passeth all knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You know what Paul's praying? Lord, help them to comprehend that they'll never comprehend everything about you. Help them to know that they'll never know everything about you. Paul prayed this. Listen, listen to this part. He only said this about the love of Christ. Did you hear that in the verse? And to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge. You have no idea how much he loves you. Now that's just his love. We haven't even spoken of his mercy, of his power, of his compassion, of his counsel, of his wisdom. We're just talking his love is more than you'll ever figure out in this mortal life. You know what that makes me want to do? Okay, Jesus, you said some things about yourself. I'm not sure how to understand. And you're asking me some pretty big sacrifices. And, and all I know, I, I, I don't know everything about you but I know you're worthy of whatever commitment you're asking for. And I'm excited to see what you'll show me next. There's more to Jesus. And then there's another thing I believe God will do to give you more surety in your faith. Luke 9, verse 30. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his deceits, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, these disciples didn't expect that either, did they? <laughs> there was no, uh, Jesus didn't announce beforehand, next week we're going to have Moses and Elijah in to preach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got to answer this question because I was recently asked this and I've been asked it many times down through the years. How did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? They had never seen these men. It's not like they had Facebook, you know, they could look it up and go, yep, that's the real Moses. I, how did they know? And the answer is quite simple. It's obvious, actually. They had name tags. That's just, what's so hard about that? <laughs> Hi, my name is, right? I mean, it's simple. <laughs> Don't believe that. <laughs> Don't believe that. Don't believe that. How did they know? Well, look at verse 32. It says here, but Peter and they that were with him were, were what? Heavy with sleep. Not just asleep. Heavy with sleep. Heavy. Some of you feel like that during the sermon too. <laughs> Pastor, don't get too loud. I'm, I'm <laughs> heavy with sleep. If you don't mind me taking a break from the sermon to preach for a moment. You know our flesh will get in the way of what God is trying to show us. 
more often than not. Here, Jesus is doing something incredibly special and rare, an event that would not be repeated in their lifetime. And they missed most of it. I wonder how many times God has showed up and tried to do something that would encourage you and assure you and help you make that commitment stronger and stronger and God's working, but the flesh is just weak. Truly, the Spirit is willing. That's what Jesus would tell Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was falling asleep instead of praying, watch and pray. The spirit truly is willing, but the flesh indeed is weak. Oh, the flesh will get in the way. But bringing, back to us, uh, bringing us back to the sermon now, they were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him. So Peter, James, and John got the tail end of this conversation. What were they talking about? Verse number 31, they were talking about the decease, the death that Jesus would soon accomplish. Now, I don't know if the disciples would have been able to clue, or let's say put it, all in, put it all together, if they were clued in enough to think of all this at the time. But in Zechariah chapter 4, we have an interesting prophecy about Moses and Elijah. The prophet asked, who are these? These two olive trees, these olive branches that are emptying themselves into the candlestick. And he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. There's the two anointed ones. You say, how do you know it's them? Because in Revelation chapter 11, that same verse is quoted. When God sends his two witnesses, it says they are the two anointed ones that stand by the God of the whole earth. It draws them together so that the two anointed ones are the two witnesses from Revelation 11. And there's no doubt in Revelation 11, it is Moses and Elijah that are witnessing. What do witnesses do? They testify. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Moses and Elijah have come to bore witness to what Jesus is about to do. Why? These disciples have just heard for the first time the Messiah needs to die. And now you need a second or a third witness to come in. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, everything gets established. By the way, don't forget, standing there on the mount... You have Moses, the representative of the law. You have Elijah, the representative of the prophets. That's the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And you have Jesus, there's your New Testament. You have the whole Bible standing on the mountain. You know what I think happened? My imagination, you don't have to accept it. But what I think happened, I know they're talking about his decease. But the way I piece it together, they're standing there talking. And Moses said, you know what? I remember going through that Passover experience and I remember writing about the Passover lamb and it's just truly amazing to see that you are going to fulfill all those types and pictures. And then Elijah speaks up and says, you know, me too. I remember talking about the Messiah. I remember all of my fellow prophets making all these predictions. It is breathtaking to see how you've fulfilled so many of them. And still more, I know there's more prophecies to come. And the disciples wake up and they hear this conversation and then they can tell. Moses said, I wrote this. Elijah would say, yes, and in the prophets it's like this, this. And they were able to piece together from the conversation, this must be Moses, this must be Elijah. 
They had the whole law and the prophets testifying to Christ. Peter, James, and John missed most of it. But just the little bit they did get sure did make their strength more, more sure. You know what's really going to help? If I can make this into a practical thing, what God will do to strengthen your faith, help you make that commitment, He will bring older men of God, more experienced men of God. I think that's putting it lightly with Moses and Elijah, right? Older and more experienced men of God, He will bring them across your path and let you just listen in on their conversation. And say, listen, they have already crossed this path. They've already made these decisions. They made their commitment. They stuck by the truth. God had revealed things to Moses and Elijah that were very difficult to say out loud. Brand new truths. They were able to say, we remember when you told us to say some strange things, but we saw it work out. And you asked us to do some hard things, but we know it worked out. And Peter, James, and John are faced now with those same kind of challenges, that same cross they have to pick up. And they're able to listen in on what these older men of God had to say. Perhaps you're thinking it over in your mind. Jesus wants me to do this and that and that. Now, if I do that, that's going to change my marriage. My spouse is not going to like that. If I do that, that is going to be a big change in my job. My kids may not understand why. We are making this and that change. I have had plans for my future and for my retirement for years. But if I'm going to follow the will of God, I might have to change all those plans. I've been building my life now for 20, 30 years to go this direction. And now God's asking me to go completely contrary to that. Now, God, how am I going to implement all these big changes? You know what will really help? Get around some older, more experienced Christians that have gone down that path. They have implemented the Word of God. They were obedient when it was most difficult and ask them if it was worth it. And see if the changes they made to bring their life in line with the will of God helped them or hurt them. Years ago, I had the privilege of visiting a church in America, a rather large church. The pastor there is named Rick DeMichael. And I was part of his missions conference. I was much younger at the time. I was about 30 years old, I think. And, and he took me out to lunch. He asked me to stay behind one extra day after the conference, and he took me to lunch. And I, I was shocked. I didn't expect that. that. That was not normal for him to do so. And so we went to a local restaurant. We sat down, and we were just chit-chatting, having pizza, and just talking. And I thought, he asked me here just to talk. Yeah. Isn't this nice? So what do I do? I talk. What else do you want me to do, right? I thought he wanted to hear my stories. I wasn't, I I do not think that I dominated the conversation. I I don't think so because I, I can remember several things he said leading up to this. But at one point, he had finished a story or maybe I jumped in and started telling mine. He leaned back in his chair and he said, Brother Mike, you know what's wrong with a lot of young preachers today? I said, what, what's that? And I, I braced myself because young preacher. He said, they don't know when to shut up. <laughs> that's not a mic drop. That's a mic bomb. That, the bomb went off. What do you do with that? 
Well, you shut up. And, and I knew Brother DeMichael enough to know that he wasn't, me, he wasn't saying this to get me. He was saying this to help me. He invited me out to that lunch because he wanted to download some experience, some advice, and some knowledge because he could see God taking me a certain direction. And he knew. He had seen plenty of men go down this path. Now, young man, hush. Days should speak and the multitude of years should teach wisdom, the Bible says. Let that older man of God, let some of his wisdom rub off on you. If you ever get the chance to sit around the older saints that have trod this path, carrying their cross, you get the chance to rub shoulders, just stay quiet. Best thing you can do is this. Start asking questions. If you want to say anything, ask questions. But the welder was just here. One of the most profitable things we did is give him a long list of questions and we sat in that other room for an hour and a half and listened to him answer questions one after another. That might have been the most profitable thing of that week. Just ask questions. I find it myself, now, now that Brother DeMichael did that to me, I have never worked up the courage to say that to another young man, but God knows I have wanted to. <laughs> I, there have been plenty of times where I'm sitting there thinking, should I, should I? No, no. I, I just, I, I need to grow a backbone big enough to say that. <laughs> but I'm also able to be patient with it because I know I've been in your shoes. You're excited. <laughs> but if you just listen. You know what Peter did? Look at verse 33. Came to pass as they departed from him. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. He said, Lord, I don't want this to end. I've missed most of it. Can we go into overtime a little bit? Can we set up some tabernacles? Can we pitch a tent? Because I don't want this to end. And, and you know when it gets good and you're learning something, you don't want it to end. I mean, we make jokes about keep the sermon short, and I try to, but listen, when it gets good, you just want more of it. When I'm hearing a good sermon, you can go three hours. I don't care if God's there. Just talk. I'm getting fed. I want to learn. D don't worry. I, that's not a, I'm, that's not a threat. <laughs> It's not a threat, okay? We're almost done. <laughs> but Peter wanted some extra time. But look at the last phrase in verse 33, not knowing what he said. Young man, be quiet. <laughs> Let those older guys talk. You got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now granted, Moses and Elijah are heading back, but Peter's just, he's waking up doing one of these things. Huh? And he said, wait, wait, wait. I mean, he heard the tail end of the conversation. He thought, I want more of that. Don't go, don't go. And he didn't know what to say, so he just blurted something out. M much better, stay quiet and just let the older men of God do some talking. You do some learning. Luke 9, there's more that God will do to make you more sure. Verse 34, while he thus spake. While he spake, in the middle of Peter saying this, Peter, stay quiet. God's about to show up and do something. <laughs> Tabernacles. We need ears that will hear. Verse 34, While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. Well, you would too. <laughs> if you're up on that mountain and a cloud just shows up and whoop, sits there, what is going on here? And they feared as they entered into the cloud. Verse 35, And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. And then the greatest advice the world has ever heard, hear him.
hear him. You need a meeting for prayer. There's more to Jesus than you know. There are men of God. And then there's also the mouth of God. God from time to time will orchestrate special and rare events in your life, unique things. God will just bring it together and say something specifically just to you. Straight from the mouth of God. And it was meant just for you, tailor-made to get your attention. And it can happen in a sermon. It can happen at your job. It can happen at home. It can happen anywhere where God just brings everything together to create that special moment. The world would look at it in an Afrikaans, Yalla will say, to falach. It's just a coincidence. The world would see it like that, but we see it as chot falach. <laughs> it wasn't just happenstance. God brought these things together. The idea of God audibly speaking from heaven, it, it happens, right? Here it is. But it is incredibly rare. And the odds of it ever happening in your life or mine are rare, save one. I can promise you one time you will audibly hear the voice of the Lord, and that is the day the trumpet sounds and the rapture happens. You will hear His voice. You, your name will be called, and out you go. But until that time, even though you don't hear the audible voice of God in your ear, there's a very high probability that he's trying to speak in that still small voice in your heart. And while life is happening around you, God inside is directing you saying, listen, this is why that's happening. And this is what I want you to do about that. And the mouth of God will help you make sense out of everything coming together. You say, Brother Mike, I believe God's speaking to me. I, I believe it's not coincidence. There are too many things lining up, but how can I know that it's God? Let me tell you how. You'll start to see doors open. That is, opportunities will come your way. Now, if it's just an opportunity by itself, you don't want to make too much of it. That could be God. That could be the world. It could be the devil. Don't just jump on it because the door's open. It, listen, what happened with Peter, James, and John, if this was the only special thing that ever happened in their life, they went up on a mountain, a cloud came in, and then they come down and say, we heard a voice. Eh, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But when you read this story with the two years of events before it and the rest of their life that happened after it, we are quite certain that something special happened on that mountain. You've, you've got to judge these type of events in the context of everything else God's doing. So you look and you say, here's an open door. Here's an opportunity before me. But you have to combine that with prayer. So as you've been praying, God will tell you, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he will confirm that door came from me because the open door is confirmed. It's combined with prayer and it is combined with scriptural promises. As you're looking at it, here's the open door. God, what do I do? He says, well, let's take a look. And you'll be reading your Bible and God will bring something off the page and say, there it is. That's what I'm doing that for. And it will confirm what you've heard in prayer and what you're seeing in front of you. And then you combine that with the counsel you get from other godly men, godly women. In the multitude of counselors, their safety. How do I know it's God? God will combine all of these things to give you assurance. How do I know it's God? Look at verse 35. This is my beloved son. God had nothing to say about Moses or Elijah, did he? He had nothing to say. You know what God, if, if you, how do I know it's God doing these things in my life? 
God is interested in giving the Lord Jesus Christ the preeminence. That open door, that opportunity, that friend, that family member, whatever it is you're dealing with, you're wondering, should I take up that cross? Is that part of the will of God? Is Jesus Christ going to get the preeminence if you go down that path? Because ultimately, that's always the will of God. If it's just to pay your bills, that's not a bad thing, but you don't want to say that's the will of God simply because of that. Ultimately, does this line up with me giving Jesus Christ the preeminence? There are some commitments that if you were to make those commitments, you would not be able to keep Jesus in the center of everything you do. But God will put Jesus front and center. This is my beloved son. And then this wonderful advice. Hear him. That is so powerful. Just those two words. Could we say that's the secret to life? Just, just listen to what he's saying. Hear him. Say, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm praying about this and I want to do that and I want to do that. What do you think? What did Jesus tell you to do? Does it line up with what Jesus said? Is this part of you carrying the cross that he put on you? Hear him. These disciples are wondering, what did he mean? These disciples have been challenged to carry a cross. And what does God say? Listen to what he told you. He will give you more sureness about what Jesus said. In verse number 36, we find this. It says, when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Jesus, you see in Matthew and Mark, they were... Jesus told them, don't tell anyone what you've just seen. Tell no man the vision, the Bible says. You know how incredibly hard that must have been? I mean, this was just mind-blowingly amazing. Don't tell anyone. Jesus knew if you tell them now, it raises too many questions and the world's just not ready to hear this. We need to flesh the story out a bit. Once we see the whole story, this, this particular event will make sense. So hold on to it for now. But eventually, Peter did talk about it. So we're going to finish in 2 Peter chapter 1, just quickly. I want you to see how this story finishes up. 2 Peter chapter 1. You need to meet for prayer. You need to know there's more about Jesus. God will bring men the men of God into your life. There's the mouth of God speaking to you personally in in a special way. But then, lastly, you have a more sure word of Scripture. This is where it finishes, strangely enough. 2 Peter 1, look with me at verse number 13, or 12, forgive me, verse 12. Peter says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Peter has just told them, guys, you need to grow. You have faith, now add to your faith. Knowledge, temperance, virtue, godliness, charity. He goes through the list. He says, I know you know this. And church, there's many Sundays I stand here and tell you things that I've said before, and I know you know them. 
But one of the jobs of the pastor is to put you in remembrance to say, don't forget you picked up that cross a while back. Don't put it down. You made some commitments. You need to keep growing. Okay, you've been at it for 10 years, but there's the next 10 years. Now, Peter wanted to find a way so that they could not only know that truth, but continue in it for generations to come. Watch what he says, verse 13. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, in, in this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. So Jesus had showed him, you're going to die soon. He says, I'm getting ready for that. I'm not going to be here to personally remind you right out of my mouth. Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things. What's the next word? Always, always in remembrance. I want you to have something that will be preserved from this generation forever. I want you to have it always. Isn't that, isn't that precious? We still have it. 2,000 years ago, his desire was I want them to always have it. We still have it. Verse number 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. What does he mean? Peter says, listen, what I'm telling you about Christ, I didn't hear this from some other lunatic running around town making up stories. He says, guys, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Verse 16, when we made known unto you the power and what? Help me. Power and what? Coming. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What did Jesus say? Some of you are standing here, you'll not taste of death till you see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. Peter affirms here, that's what we saw. Verse 17 For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And amen, if God's pleased in him, we should be pleased as well. Do you see what's missing? Look at what's missing. Look at what's not there. See what you don't see. <laughs> There's two words you don't see there. Peter heard him on the mount. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And you might be sitting there today going, okay, I'm all for that. I like the idea of hear him. But Jesus isn't standing right here. Wouldn't that be nice if he was? Wouldn't that be great if he was right next to you day by day to say, no, 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 not there, there. Not this way, that way. Right? Wouldn't that be help? Wouldn't that be just wonderful? Now, he's not here physically to do that. You say, well, therefore, I can't hear him. Let me remind you quickly, the Holy Spirit is with you and will guide you into all truth. But perhaps you say that, but it's difficult to hear what the Spirit has to say all the time. I'm a physical, natural human being, and the spiritual is just tough to wrap my head around. He says, all right, verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard which we, uh, when we were with him in the holy mount. It, the, the mountain was holy because God showed up on it. Anywhere God shows up becomes holy. Verse 19, we have also. Okay, what did he already have? He had the the mouth of God speaking from heaven. He had the, the voice of God. We have also a what? More sure word of prophecy. What, what did he hear on the mountain? Hear him. Okay, but here I am today, 2,000 years later. I don't have Jesus right next to me. I struggle to hear him. He said, here you go. 
I got all my words. Everything I need you to hear is right here. I have something right here that you can trust more than God speaking to you from heaven. Peter that heard God speaking from heaven said, this book is more sure than the voice of God speaking to you from heaven. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. You say, how do you know he's talking about the scripture, the the written word? Look at verse 20. Knowing this verse that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit ghost. Peter knows he's in that long line of men moved by the Holy Ghost and what he's writing down will be preserved always. Why? Because now every day, anytime we need to, we can hear him. We'll finish in verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. Pay attention to this. In the place of hear him, Peter says, listen to your Bible. You do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. The Bible refers to this time in which we live as a night time. The church age is called a night time. In Romans chapter 13, it says the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Why? Because the light of the world isn't here on this earth, but he will be soon. So we're in the nighttime and we're waiting for the day to dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What does that mean? When Jesus comes back, he's going to give you a new body. But do you know part of that glorified body is not just this physical body, but a new heart and a new mind? Because our hearts and minds today can be filled with doubt, confusion, fear, and I'm not quite sure what decision to make. And praise God one day when the trumpet sounds and he calls us home, your body gets fixed and your heart and mind get fixed at the same time. The day star, that's Jesus Christ, the bright and morning star. You're dressed in that same glorified body that he had when he rose, but also the heart and mind. You're fixed inside and out. And until that day, you know what he's given you? He said, you have a more sure word. Are we not familiar with load shedding by this point? We know a little something about walking in darkness, yes? I mean, you got to give me an amen on that one. Come on, we got to finish on an amen there. This is South Africa. We know about darkness. Praise God, we know about darkness. Unless you have the privilege of a generator or solar uh, panels or whatever, Chances are, when the darkness hits, it's usually at an inconvenient time. And what a blessing if you have a flashlight in your hand. I'm finishing on a very simple note, but I hope it sticks with you. Wouldn't it be foolish to have the flashlight in your hand and the lights go off and you don't turn the flashlight on? (laughs) Listen, man, if you run into the wall and and stub your toe or hit your head, that's on you. (laughs) If you need stitches, I I may not even come visit you in the hospital. (laughs) Man, you had, a, you had a flashlight. You got a flashlight. You have a light for your path. And, and Peter said, you do well to hear him speaking to you through something that is more sure than God speaking from heaven. Jesus said, he that is of God heareth God's words. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. Today, friend, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You say, how can I hear him? Here's your light.
that will shine on that path that you need to take. And when it shines and it says, there's your cross, pick it up. You can be more sure this is Jesus telling me to pick it up. I'll gladly follow him. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Last week we talked about your cross. We talked about the demand for discipleship. And perhaps in the last seven days, you've been thinking about that, that challenge, that cross. And the Lord has been pressing on your heart saying, there are changes I, I want you to make. And you've been back and forth. I don't know. Hopefully today the Lord has followed up on that and given you some things that will help you become more sure about that cross you need to carry. Meet for prayer. Learn more about Jesus. Listen to other men and women of God. Hear from the mouth of God. See what he's saying about your specific in your, your circumstance and take heed to the more sure word of your Bible these are things you need to apply when you walk out of the door you can make a decision now to be busy with these things but as the week progresses grow build your faith Father, we thank you that you are patient with us. You know that many times we do struggle. We can't wrap our heads around everything you're doing. Sometimes that cross gets so heavy, we do want to put it down. Thank you for the assurance that you give us. Thank you for a glimpse of your glory. Father, thank you for speaking to us as individuals. Thank you for this precious Bible that we get to have and hold and read. Help us to follow it. Lord, we look forward to that day when we hear your audible voice. And until that time, Lord, thank you for something that we can depend on, a more sure word. Father, bless the baptism now. What a special moment in the lives of those that are being baptized. Father, thank you for the privilege of being involved in your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. If you would, as I mentioned during the announcements, a few of you men can take chairs into the yak, and the rest of us will just assist.